Mark chapter 6. This is to me a, an amazing and fascinating portion of Scripture because it gives us graphic detail of the execution of John the Baptist. So, well, is John the Baptist a, that important a character? This, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. There's never been a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. If you ever want to study the life of a great man, a man that Jesus said is great, study the life of John the Baptist. We're going to talk about John today. Let's stand together as we read just a few verses to get us started. Mark chapter 6 and verse 14. And King Herod heard of him. Now, when it says heard of him, it's talking about Jesus. I mean, things are happening. We just, we just studied in our last message about how Jesus sent the 12 out. Jesus has been going around teaching, preaching, healing people, raising people from the dead. Now he sends the 12 out. And King Herod, in verse 14, heard of him. In parentheses, for his name was spread abroad. And he said, Herod said, that John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said, others said about Jesus, that it's Elias. And others said that he is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Our Father, we pray for your help again today as we study. Lord, we love your word, the Bible, and we want to learn from it. It's all important. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. And so I pray that you'd help us today as we give our attention to this passage, this record of Mark concerning King Herod and John the Baptist. Lord, help us to be learners. Help us to be disciples. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in his name. Amen. You may be seated. We already touched on the life of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1. If you'll flip over there quickly to Mark chapter 1, just one verse... And um, as we were beginning this study through the Gospel of Mark, in verse 14, it says this. Now, after that John was put in prison, Mark 1, 15, 14, excuse me, Mark 1, 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. So when John was put in prison, it was about the same time that Jesus came into Galilee beginning his preaching ministry, preaching the gospel. Uh, John was put in prison uh, soon after he baptized Jesus. And by the time that we're reading here in Mark chapter 6, where John had been killed, John had been murdered, uh, he had been in prison, John had been in prison for a year before that happened. It's interesting in verse 14 that King Herod referred to him as John the Baptist. That's interesting. Um, Jesus also, by the way, called John, John the Baptist. Um, later on in this passage, we'll get here in a little while, Herodias, 
If you look down in verse 24, over in verse 24, uh, this uh, daughter of the uh, Herodias came and said, went forth and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And the mother, the wife of Herod said, Ask, she said, the head of John the Baptist, Herodias. The wife of the king called him John the Baptist. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? All these people calling him John the Baptist. And it's worth thinking about for just a moment. What does Baptist mean, anyway, from a biblical point of view? What does Baptist mean, and why was he called that? Um, our, our English word, baptize, comes from the Greek word, baptizo. Baptizo was not totally changed in the translation. It was transliterated. It was changed into the English word baptize, and it clearly means to immerse. Baptize means to submerge. A Strong's Concordance says it means to make whelmed. That's a word I never use, whelmed. I'm used overwhelmed sometimes. You get overwhelmed. But what does the word whelmed mean? Strong's Concordance says that baptize means to, to whelm. Whelm is to be covered or plunged or immersed. There's no getting around it. The name Baptist, the word Baptist means to submerge or immerse. So John got his name, the Baptist, because of his baptism. Because of the way he baptized. He baptized by immersion those who repented of their sins and believed on the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would come and save his people from their sins. That was his message. And people came to him, heard his message. They believed he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, if you were to look at a concordance, the, the term Baptist is found 15 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a Bible word. Baptist is a Bible word. And I, I take the time to emphasize that because there, there's some people who, who really look at Baptist like it doesn't matter. That name, what is that? I'll tell you, it's a name that God gave. The name Baptist. Uh, before churches were really called Baptists back in the 1500s, many of them were called Anabaptists. We've talked about this before. Anabaptists means those who rebaptize. The reason they were called Anabaptists is because they believed that for baptism to be scriptural, it must be after a convert confesses faith in Christ. I was reading yesterday where in the 1500s, the Protestants, people like Zwingli, bitterly opposed the Anabaptists and made a decree that all Anabaptists should be drowned. Baptism is important. Many Baptists were tortured. They were drowned. They were burned at the stake because of Baptist doctrine. When I hear someone maligning or uh, minimizing the name Baptist, I have to think about these things. First of all, it's a Bible term. Second of all, we've got a great heritage as Baptists. A lot of people want to take Baptists off of their church because of the stigma associated with that name. I, I, I like the name Baptist. It's a Bible name. Um, by the way, just for the record, some people like to take the name church off of their church. They want to distance themselves from the name church. But may I say to you today, God is the one who called congregation churches. God did that. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, local assemblies are called churches. I don't think church is a bad name. So just for the record, I still like the names God uses. He calls congregation churches. 
He called John a Baptist. So much has been said about John. And this may seem like an overstatement, but I don't think you could overstate the importance of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Jesus. By the way, think about it in these terms. There was only one baptism that Jesus would accept. He traveled a great distance to be baptized by John the Baptist. Is that right? So in this record of Mark chapter 6, we have the history of King Herod and John the Baptist. Now quickly, who was King Herod? He was sometimes called in the Bible Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. There are a lot of different Herods, and it's not important that we know them all, but Herod the Great uh, had several children, and one of them was Herod Antipas. He's also called in the Bible a tetrarch. That's his, the term for his position. He governed a region. Actually, tetrarch is a fourth part of a nation. And Herod Antipas, the Herod we're looking at here in 14, was over the region of Galilee and Perea, but primarily Galilee. He is, he is the tetrarch over that region. It says in verse 14, he's a king, King Herod, and they use that term king, but king does not mean like supreme ruler here because all the regional governors, all the tetrarchs, all of those served under the Roman emperor. They weren't the final authority. Matter of fact, they didn't have a whole lot of authority or power. But King Herod in verse 12, 14, excuse me, said, he heard of him. He heard of Jesus. How could you not hear of him? Um, I mean, Jesus is doing all kinds of amazing things. His disciples are preaching everywhere. He's raising people from the dead. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14 says this, and it's recording the same passage here, or portion of history. It says that uh, Herod heard of the fame of Jesus. In verse 14 here, if you're looking, if your Bible's open to Mark 6, 14, it says, His name was spread abroad. So what did Herod think of when he heard about Jesus? It says in verse 14, he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show them forth themselves in him. Now there was confusion, not just on Herod's part, but there was confusion on the part of others about who Jesus was. And, and who Jesus was confused about who John the Baptist was. In verse 15 it says, others said about Jesus that it's Elias. Elias being Elijah, another way of spelling Elijah. Others said it's a prophet or one of the prophets. That were, people were saying all kinds of things about Jesus. Most of you are familiar with Matthew 16 when Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I the son of man am? Who are people saying that I am? And we would think, well, why don't everybody just know who he was? Because they didn't know who he was. And so in Matthew 16, they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some people, that's what they said. People are saying you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elijah. Some are saying that you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Uh, hold your finger here in Mark chapter 6 and go to the right, if you would please, to Luke chapter 9. It's really close and easy to find, and we'll notice a few things here said about this. Luke chapter 9 and verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. 
by Jesus, and he was perplexed. What he was hearing in the palace had him disturbed. He was perplexed. Because it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. And of some that Elias had appeared. And of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said in verse 9, John have I beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. So back to Mark chapter 6. Herod is confused, he's perplexed, but he says not just once, but twice. Look in verse 16. But when Herod heard thereof, Mark 6, 16, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. You know, John's been dead for a while. And he's out of the public eye. But he was not out of the mind of King Herod. It's the only explanation I've got. John was an unusual character, and I think he's come back from the dead. You know, John, I mean, Herod had a firsthand testimony and account of how John the Baptist died. And we're going to, we're looking at this, and one thing I'm glad that God inspired Mark to write was a detailed account of how Herod and John the Baptist had a history and how the greatest man ever born of woman was executed. One thing I think that seems to me, and I'm kind of speculating a little bit about this, but seems certain is that Herod had a tormented conscience. His conscience was bothering him because of the death of John. He murdered him. Now, why did Herod, first of all, have John arrested? Look in verse 17. John 6, 17, or Mark 6, 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So Herod, his issue with John began because of this relationship he had with his half-brother Philip's wife. Herod had married his brother's wife, and you say, well, what did that have to do with John? Look in verse 18. For John had said unto Herod. He didn't say to other people, he said unto Herod. It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So this is Herod's issue with John that started the whole drama that plays out before us this morning. Herod took Herodias as his wife, and actually, she was legitimately his half-brother's wife. And by the way, Herod himself was married. He divorced his wife that he could marry Herodias. But there's something else that makes it even worse. Herodias was actually the one that Herod married was related to him, a step-nephew. Not only was it adultery, but it was an incestuous relationship. Clearly, Clearly, if you read that back in the book of Leviticus, a relationship that God forbids. So in verse 18, John confronted King Herod about his sin. What you're doing, King, is wrong. There's a whole lot I'd like to say about that. I've had people get upset with me 
over the years. I even had one family left the church because I would say things about political people and the, and the fact that their position was wrong. It was against God. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about things that are immoral and forbidden by God. And people get upset. Well, I don't think you ought to talk about that. Well, John the Baptist talked about it. Thankfully, I didn't get my head cut off for it. At least not yet. Verse 19 says, Therefore Herodias, the one that Herod's married to, had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. So here's, here's some tension in the family. Herodias wanted John dead, but she could not make it happen. Verse 20 says, For Herod feared John. Herod the king respected John the Baptist, knowing that he was a just man and and holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he actually heard him. He did many things and heard him gladly. So Herodias wants him dead. Herod respects him. Herod believes that John was a holy and just godly man. Matthew 14 records this about Herod. When he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because he, they counted him as a prophet. So Herod is a conflicted man. He's living in immorality. He's been confronted about his sin. Directly rebuked by the preacher who Herod knew to be a man of God. His wife is pressuring him to murder John. And Herod would have killed him, the Bible says, but he knew it wouldn't be good for him politically. This man's got a lot on his plate. Verse 21 says, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. Herod planned this great celebration for his birthday. These people described in verse 20 or 21, it says they were lords. These are rulers, high captains, military leaders, and chief, and, uh, chief people, all these different people that are important people. This was a who's who of folks in Galilee. Actually, a lot, a lot of them were Jewish people as well, which I think is fascinating. No doubt this was a, a, a wicked time, this party. This birthday party. I've, in studying about this, people believe that it was certain that this was an all-male event. A bunch of men getting together, partying, revelry, drunkenness, vulgarity. This party is going on. He's celebrating his birthday. He, in his pride, he's got everybody there that's anybody in the city of Galilee. Verse 22 says, And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. So here we have this daughter of this wicked Herodias who came in and danced. We don't know her exact age. It's believed that she was probably a teenager, 15, 16 years old. 
She comes into this scene where all this drinking and partying and vulgarity is going on, and she danced. Imagine a teenager doing that. Imagine a mother allowing her teenager to do that. I can visualize such an immoral, shameless scene. And the Bible says in verse 22, we read it a moment ago, it pleased Herod. This is not the kind of pleasure or pride that a parent might have if their child won the spelling bee or they were, they were at a piano recital. It's not that kind of being pleased. Herod was pleased. The truth is, the, the word, a Strong's definition of the word pleased is this exciting emotion. He was pleased in a sensual way. All these, and his pride, I can just see the pride of this king welling up. All these important people are here, all these political leaders are here, and his, his wife's daughter comes out and she's dancing in such a way that people are stirred by it. And he said something that he would certainly regret. He said in verse 22, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swear unto her in verse 23. That's an oath. Didn't just ask it or say it. It says he swear unto her. Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. I'll give you anything you want. Just ask for it. He's probably thinking she's going to ask for some money. Maybe I'll pay her way through college. Maybe I'll buy her a new chariot. Maybe I'll give her a chunk of land or position in the kingdom. The Bible says in verse 24, she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? I can have anything I want. And she said, Herodias, her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. It's almost like she knew immediately, without hesitation. Go, this is what I want you to go tell the king you want. You want the head of John the Baptist. Isn't that morbid? Isn't that amazing? And in verse 25 it says she came in straightway, immediately, with haste. I mean, she just came barreling in to see the king and, and ask, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. The charger is like a platter. I want, you to, I want you to bring John's head in here on a platter. The Bible says in verse 26, the king was exceeding sorry. He was, exceed, he was intensely sad. He was overcome with sorrow. This is not the way he wanted this to play out. He was enjoying going and speaking to John the Baptist in prison. And he was enjoying his party up until now. He was full of regret. Please notice this. But he was also full of pride. He had said something he shouldn't have said. Someone took him up on it. And look at what it says in verse um, 26. He was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake... And for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. 
I find this, this is something you'll see throughout the Bible. When people made a commitment, and yet they would not break their commitment. I mean, which is worse? Breaking a vow and saving the life of a godly man, or keeping your vow and having his head cut off? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of a twisted value system to me. But for his oath's sake, for people, and for the period, there's peer pressure. It says in verse 26, for their sakes which sat with him. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's watching him. What are you going to do? You said you were going to do this. What are you going to do? <coughs> A lot of lessons to be found in this passage. I hope you find it as interesting as it is. Maybe spend some time in the future reading over this. Because of his commitment, because of those that were watching, he could not, the Bible says, reject her. He couldn't say no. What he should have done is humbled himself and said, I've been a fool. This whole thing is a fool. I was a fool for putting him in prison. I'm a fool for living out here in this, this debauchery that we're having before us. I was, a, I was a fool for saying I'd give her whatever I want. And I'm, I'm going to just admit my stupidity and I'm going to say no to this spoiled princess. No. Go ask your mother for something else. But I'm not giving you that. But that's not what he did. Verse 27, And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. Imagine that. Imagine this executioner coming into this room or party or place with the head of the bleeding head of John the Baptist on a platter. It's quite a scene to imagine, isn't it? And he brings that head to this girl and brought it to her mom. This the head of what an end. What an end to the man that Jesus said, there's never been a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. What a gruesome, powerful moment. The Bible says in verse 29, and when his disciples heard of it, his being John's disciples, when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. If you were reading this in Matthew's Gospel, one other detail is given in Matthew's Gospel. They took the body of Jesus or the, John and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. That's an interesting detail that Mark doesn't give us. They went and told Jesus what had happened. There's a lot to be learned from this passage. Many times as I read it, I still am... Impressed with it. Let me quickly give you just a few things to think about related to this. The first thing is the consequences of decisions. Herod, first of all, should have listened to John when John said, the relationship you're having with Herodias is wrong. He should have humbled himself, as I said earlier, and spared John's life. You know, bad, bad decisions have a way of compounding one bad decision can lead to another bad decision. 
which leads to another bad decision. So it says something about the consequences of our decisions. The second thing to me it talks about and says, provides for us, is the danger of lust and lasciviousness. What indecent and immoral behavior can lead to. Herod created the environment. He'd already, he'd already set the stage, he just didn't know it for something tragic to happen. And he created this environment of partying and revelry and drinking and whatever else went on that led up to John's execution. The indecent dancing of this damsel, this daughter of Herodias. I'm telling you, we ought to think about where lustful, licentious behavior can lead us and where it can lead others. I don't blame this daughter for what Herod did, but what this daughter did incited, provoked the king. Is that right or wrong? You say, well, it doesn't matter how I dress or how I dance. I'm telling you, consequences have decisions. This is, this is a lesson. It's a, this is what took the head of the greatest man that ever lived. It's, part of the, it's a part of the scenario. It's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. The greatest man born of woman was beheaded because of their lust and unrestrained passions. It says something about lust and lasciviousness. Thirdly, it says something about the power of pride. Herod was full of himself. He was more concerned with pleasing his wife and more concerned with pleasing his constituents than doing the right thing. Pride is an evil thing, is it not? Keeps us from saying we were wrong. Keeps us from admitting we're going the wrong direction. Pride is a wicked, wicked thing, and all of us ought to recognize it. The fourth thing is the effect of unresolved conflicts. Herodias never got over her anger with John the Baptist. I'm not letting that preacher say that about me. She would have had him killed earlier. Unresolved conflicts. Things that have happened in life that we never really get over. And Herod had his own unresolved conflicts, I believe. He was haunted with this guilt and fear after the execution of John. So much so that when Jesus began to perform these miracles, his guilt just kept saying, it's John, come back from the dead. John has come back to haunt me. It's John the Baptist who's doing these miracles. He never got over this. Unresolved conflicts, they have a way of resurfacing and affecting us down the road. And the last thing that I'll mention, lessons learned from this passage, is the price of rejecting Jesus. It cost Herod deeply. Because he wouldn't, re- he wouldn't honor Jesus. He wouldn't recognize Jesus. Same for Herodias. Same for Herodias' daughter. I find this one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. And you know what? I, I see these kinds of things played out in life. How... We, we get ourselves boxed into something because we did this, we shouldn't have done it, but we wouldn't admit it, we did this, we say this, and before you know it, it's like it's out of control, and that's what it was for Herod. It was out of control. Now John, what a way to die, right? 
Part of me feels sorry for him, but he went immediately into the presence of Jesus for the full reward that he deserved. By the way, there have been a whole lot more since John. as We heard about it a little bit in Sunday school today. We talked about it earlier about the doctrine of baptism and Baptist doctrine that have lost their life, lost their head, killed, martyred because of their faith. May God help us to be faithful unto death. Let me ask you a couple of things today and we're done. First of all, in this story, they saw Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize who he was. And there were, it was, it was a, the whole story is full of Christ rejectors, God rejectors, truth rejectors. People rejected standards, rejected morals, rejected, you know, they just rejected any sense of restraint. But let's think about us today. First about you and your salvation. Do you know the Lord? Do you really know him? I mean, is he really real in your life? You say, I'd never want anybody to cut my head off. I wouldn't either. It wasn't a pleasant experience. But you know what? Most people in this room, or at least a lot of people in this room, would rather have their head cut off for Jesus than to live without Jesus. Jesus means something to us. He's real. He's changed our life. He saved us. He made us new creatures. He gave us a new purpose. He's real to us. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as your Savior? If you don't know Him today, you need Him today. You need Him. And you ought to come to Him today. We're here to help you do that. If you're today and you're a Christian, you say, I really know that I'm saved. I know I've been born again. I know that I belong to the Lord. And maybe you find yourself sometimes trying to figure out why, why certain things are right and why certain things are wrong and, and why would that party and be wrong and why you ought to think about the consequences of the decisions you're making. Amen. Find you a place in the Bible where that kind of behavior, any kind of good came out of it. It doesn't come out of it. Maybe today you've, go back to kind of the beginning of the sermon, you, you think the whole thing about church and Baptist and doctrine and belief, all that stuff is really kind of unimportant. I don't want to be mean or unkind, but I'm telling you, you're on the wrong side of truth when you believe that. You're on the, you're on the, you have a belief system that's contradictory to what God says. Right? We're not here in this life, even as Christians, to be entertained and have fun and have it our way. We're here to live for and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's a great lesson to me. And I hope in some way it touched you today. And I hope you'll take it to heart, whatever you feel like it says to you today. It might cause parents to have some serious discussions about what kind of behavior, what kind of uh, expectations we're going to have for our children, for our family. It'd be a good thing to talk about. Amen?